bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And we have a special bonus pod today. We're going to be talking about reproductive rights. Thank goodness. And Um, finally. Yes. So (laughs) we have a special guest with us in-house today. We have the current member of provincial parliament for Ottawa Centre, all of our MPP. Uh, He's also the attorney general for Ontario, uh, Yasser Nakfi. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited. In-house. Yeah. <laughs> Literally in-house since we're in one of, one of my One of my first guests in my new apartment, so thank you. <laughs> wow. Celebrity spotting. <laughs> um, so, Minister Yakvi, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your, how you've become the Attorney General and your political career. What, what brought you to where you are today? Good question. Um, so, as uh, you mentioned in, uh, from the top of the introduction, I'm the member of Provincial Parliament for Ottawa Centre. Before that, I practiced law uh, here in, in the community and was very active in the community in various volunteer projects, especially mostly in the community health uh, sector. I sat on the board of the Centertown Community uh, Health Centre. So, issues around social detriments to health, around poverty, homelessness, uh, addiction, mental health, those are the things that, that have always has motivated me. Growing up before that, I come from a very politically engaged uh, family. Both my parents were quite active. Um, I wasn't, was not born in Canada. I came to Canada at age uh, 15, where my parents, uh, when we lived in Pakistan, where they were involved in pro-democracy movement. So I had a very unique upbringing in a sense that I saw a father who was, uh, as a lawyer, was quite active in that front. Mom, also a lawyer but a very strong feminist who actually did a lot of work pro bono with uh, abused women, women who are survivor or, or victims of domestic violence, sexual violence. So that has been part of my upbringing. And, of course, now that I am in a role like the role of an attorney general, gives me an opportunity to work on a lot of important issues that relates to gender-based violence. Great. And um, you were played a big role in a piece of legislation that received royal assent in Ontario in October of 2017, which is the Safe Access to Abortion Services Act. Um, so this is legislation that establishes a ban on protesting within protesting abortions within a 50-meter radius of an abortion clinic. Um, and this can extend up to 150 meters and this includes the homes of staff and medical prevent- professionals who work in these clinics. And similar, similar legislation is actually being considered by the Notley government in Alberta. How did this come to be? Because I know this is, has been a very contentious issue in Ottawa specifically. Um, we've, we've talked about it a number of times on this podcast. So what, what brought this legislation forward and why is it important? So... It's interesting. So I'm from Ottawa, and I represent downtown Ottawa, where the Morgan Teller Clinic is located. Mm-hmm. We've had um, protests at that clinic for some time, um, and recently we've had sort of an escalating reporting of um, violent incidents taking place uh, as well, especially towards women who are trying to access abortion services, reproductive health uh, services. 
And especially of late when a case where we heard that a woman was bad on uh, came forward, um, it really bothered me, uh, obviously as a local member of provincial parliament. And so I started asking questions as to how is that even possible? I, uh, to be very honest with you, assumed that there was a law that protected uh, uh, access to those, those uh, abortion clinics. And when we looked into it, what we realized that yes, there was, and there was two injunctions in Ontario that were brought in the early 90s to protect access to uh, abortion services, but they were only limited to clinics in Toronto. That they did not cover the entire province, and that came as a as a surprise to me. That that I thought there was injunctions in place, so why police is not enforcing the law? And the police said, no, we we can't because we don't have the tools necessary. So that led us to start doing the work that, and, and for the government said, what we need is safe access uh, legislation. We looked at other precedents. Uh, British Columbia had one for some, uh, some time. Quebec as well and New Zealand and Labrador recently adopted one. So then we started working on, on, on those legislations and build one that meets the needs of Ontario. Why only Toronto? What led to that? Yeah, so back in the early 90s, the government at the time and the Attorney General at that time sought an injunction only in relation to those specific two locations. Um, I think there were incidents that took place at that time there. Mm-hmm. Um, getting an injunction is not a it is not an easy thing because we contemplated maybe we should do the same thing, maybe get an injunction for a clinic in Ottawa. Um, and we realized that one, um, the legal test around getting an injunction is requires a, a, a fair bit of work, mm-hmm. plus the timelines, because you have to go to court and you're up the discretion of a judge right. who may determine, not to mention there's eight abortion clinics in, in Ontario. And so are we going to do that for every single one of them? And we felt that as a public policy, this is far more important than us uh, just going to the courts and that what we should do is bring a, a permanent restriction and mm-hmm. create a safe access zone on a permanent basis by way of legislation Given that there were three other provinces which have already done so, mm-hmm. um, in case of British Columbia, which was the first province to do so, their law has been tested in courts and in being held constitutional. We started developing something that builds on that, but in fact goes uh, further because we also then recognize how our understanding around reproductive health has changed. Mm-hmm. And now with the availability of um, of the abortion pill, um, there's there's better access for mm-hmm. women uh, to be able to get reproductive health services. So our legislation covers all those elements as well. Okay. So the the legislation says that these quote-unquote bubble zones can be at a min- minimum 50 meter- meters or 100 meter- 150 meters away in radius. What does that mean, and what are the more intricate logistics of this legislation? So there's there's a couple of layers to it. Uh, one is for the abortion uh, clinics, we have given them automatic protection, uh, starting with minimum 50 meters. They can uh, 50 meters, and those who may be listening, is uh, one length size of an Olympic size pole. So when you do one lap on an Olympic size pole, that's 50 meters. Okay. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, I was like. Uh, <laughs> It's funny, Erica, you asked that because I asked the same question. Like, what, what's 50 <laughs> meters? And you're like, you swim? Yeah. Well, when you look at an Olympic-sized pool, that's 50 meter one lap. Okay. Um, so that's so that's a f- 
fair, fair uh, significant uh, uh, distance. Uh, but we have allowed for a clinic uh, uh, can come to us and seek more, uh, much, uh, much larger, up to 150 meters as well, depending, depending on the on the circumstance. Then we've gone a step further. We've, we've also have made sure that we protect uh, the healthcare providers and other staff that work at these clinics as well, because they are often harassed. And what we have done is we've given them at their homes automatic protection up to 150 meters. We, of course, do Wait, not wait, their homes? Like their personal? Yeah, personal homes. Oh, okay. Yeah. We've had instances um, in, in Canada where a nurse or a doctor has been harassed or threatened mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in their home. So we want to make sure that we protect that. Now, we don't list the, their addresses anywhere on a website. Mm-hmm. We have worked with their professional associations mm-hmm. uh, to inform that their protection exists. Police knows about it, and if somebody violates that, then police have the tools under the legislation to, to act um, um, on it. Also, for doctors who may have secondary offices, because many doctors mm-hmm. have multiple yep. offices, we have done, uh, we've given them automatic protection um, um, as well. 150 meters? 150 meters. Okay. And then what we have said, the last layer is that for other service providers, like community health centers who may be giving reproductive health services, mm-hmm. pharmacies who would be dispensing the abortion pill, um, they can request up to 150 meters protection. So we have not given them automatic, mm-hmm. but they can request. And it's a simple process that they have to fill out a form with the Ministry of the Attorney General. We make uh, we do such evaluation, and then we can give them uh, protection as well. And what goes into the evaluation part? Evaluation is essentially around making sure uh, that there has been some concern around around uh, threat to to of course look at where they're located and what is the appropriate uh, distance would be. We have intentionally have worked hard not to make it too onerous, mm-hmm. too bureaucratic, mm-hmm. but some sort of a some sort of an application process. Recall that one of the very important important aspect in this legislation is the constitutional balance. Because right. we're talking about two competing rights here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the rights of a woman to access healthcare services mm-hmm. and her right to be able to have those services without any interference and then making her own decision based on the advice she receives mm-hmm. from her healthcare provider. But also on the other hand, the right of somebody to exercise their freedom of, uh, of speech. So that balance has to be a careful balance. Mm-hmm. And that is why we the distances cannot be extraordinary. Um, uh, some sort of a, a evaluation uh, process is, is important so that we, we maintain uh, and balance both, both rights. So protesters in Ottawa haven't been very pleased by this legislation, obviously, and they've even gone to say it's an overreach on behalf of government um, and that the, the pro-life movement is generally peaceful. You mean the anti-choice movement? Yes, the anti-choice movement. Um, I was reading from a... Uh, we had just... Get, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I always like the anti-choice framing. Um, but yeah, they, they generally believe themselves to be peaceful and prayerful in, in their intentions. And what you're saying is that this came to a head just because it was getting a little bit out of hand. Um, but what do you say to those people who say it's an overreach on their right to protest and to for free speech? Two points. One, we're not taking their right away. They still have the right. They just have to do it, exercise that outside the, the access zone. 
um, is 50 meters, and they're still free uh, to be able to uh, make their point known. Number two, we did a lot of consultation with experts, with with feminist groups, with pro, uh, uh, pro-choice groups, and you know one of the things that we learned is that uh, when a when a woman is is accessing the services, it could be a very distre- distressful uh, circumstance for them. And to be able to walk and be able to see um, graphic pictures pictures of aborted fetuses or somebody standing with um, religious articles of, of, of faith, um, giving pamphlets that are of prayer, that that does not makes it easier for that woman or a young woman to get that service. You know, I often say, and particularly to men, is that what if somebody tried to stop you when you were going to see your family doctor and give you information about your mm-hmm. well-being and health? What would you say? You'll say, none of your business. Right. Yeah. Right? right? So why is like that any, other any different? Yeah. Right? So it's, it's not, we're not talking about access to abortion services. We're talking about access to healthcare services. Mm-hmm. And you and I are absolutely free to go without any impediment, any barrier, to see my family doctor or any other kind of medical practitioner or uh, help Without somebody telling me, don't go see your doctor or try this type of uh, way of doing it, why is this so different or unique mm-hmm. when somebody is going for reproductive health services? So it's important to have that distance. It is important for, for, for that individual, for a woman who is trying to access those services, be able to do, uh, do it without, without barrier. Like we have heard of instances, for example, where they, there's attempts to provide counseling on on roadside. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a law and order episode. But but that's often the pretense, right? And so what happened in Ottawa was that protesters were getting inside the stairwells at the Morgan Toller Clinic and counseling people where they were actually going to seek (laughs) formal counseling. Counseling. And (laughs) if a woman wants counseling of any kind, she's free to do so. mm -hmm. She need not to uh, be approached by someone on, on the street or a staircase mm. to provide counseling and prevent her from doing so. That's not their decision. So, you know, all those factors, we felt the balance is the right balance, is to create that that uh, a safe zone for a woman to be able to access. Um, in case of Ottawa, as you all know, we're talking about a very downtown location. There's mm-hmm. lots of people. There's a McDonald's next door, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's already fairly chaotic from an urban sense uh, right. perspective. Let's try to create a bit of a healthy distance between those who want to express their point of view and those who want to get uh, important healthcare service. So what happens when if a protester does violate that 50-meter zone? What happens I more kind of logistically? Um, are they arrested or what happens? Yeah, this actually happened, right? It, it did happen. Right, and when it first kind of came into effect. Yeah. It, it did happen. And so like any any offense, then police have the have the right to warn somebody that mm-hmm. they are breaching the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually police, depending on the severity of the offense, probably start with a warning. And in this case, the Ottawa police said they will ed- do the education mm-hmm. uh, piece. If somebody still violates the law, then they can charge them. Okay. Um, and then you have to go and, of course, defend yourself, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They can also arrest them. Uh, so police uh, under this law have all those powers. This is a provincial offense, so uh, you can um, you can 
you can be fined uh, and you can go to a, go to jail if convicted mm-hmm. uh, up to two years less than a day. Hmm. But again, there's a lot of discretion. Yeah, there's between. a lot. That's I'm assuming that that's the the extreme. Extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, if someone is feeling harassed when they're trying to access these clinics, where are they supposed to go? Are they supposed to go just continue? to the clinic? Are they supposed to go directly to the police? Like, how are they supposed to handle it in the moment and in an ideal situation? Well, any kind of advice, always the advice is if you in a in a circumstance where um, somebody's harassing you or threatening you, you just want to be, go to a safe place. So in this case, go, go to a clinic. But then our recommendation always would be to then report that offense to the police and let then the police uh, do the work. So that, that option is available. Uh, what the police in Ottawa has done, a couple of things, and I give them credit for this. One, they've actually put signage around the Morgan Teller Clinic in Ottawa indicating the 50-meter zone, so there is that clarity. And they also actually, we worked very closely with police services across the province where abortion clinics are available to educate them about the law. And what they have done, I know in case of Ottawa, for sure, that they reached out to different groups, both pro-choice and anti-choice. And let them know, look, this is the law. Uh, this is how we're going to follow it. We're going to give warnings in, in the beginning. We expect you to uh, to respect the law, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they've kind of did the relationship building thing. My understanding is the law is actually having its impact. Um, I'm not hearing in the beginning there was that instance that somebody was still um, insistent in be within the abortion zone and they, they, were, they were arrested and charged. Uh, but I've not heard of incidents, um, especially on Twitter. Usually I, I get tweets where people send me photos and stuff like that. I've not seen, so I'm I'm hoping and assuming that the law is actually working. Do police actively go and patrol that area, or is I it just police, based on calls? I think Ottawa police has been quite vigilant in the beginning to make sure that uh, it's being respected. Again, it's downtown Ottawa. It's very close to Parliament Hill. There's mm-hmm. there's already a fair bit of a police presence naturally in that area, and I think everybody is more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. For those people who have don't feel safe going to the police for whatever reason, what do you recommend as an appropriate course of action if they are, have, are being or have been harassed going into one of these clinics? That's a very good question. I mean, I think you can, one can rely on, on the clinics themselves. Uh, they're obviously very sophisticated. They unfortunately live through this fair bit. Um, and so they would be one important uh, resource. I would also suggest that organizations like Planned Parenthood uh, have been phenomenal to work with and mm-hmm. they are obviously very good allies in that and their their activism and advocacy has been uh, has been quite effective they probably an organization like that will be another a good one to sort of uh, reach out to and then of course there's other uh, feminist organizations uh, in Ottawa that that work on these kind of issues and making sure that that women are protected that women mm-hmm. women women's rights are are, are respected um, so what you're saying is that the burden is kind of on the women to report the, the harassment themselves. Um, is what is it possible for you know? But not necessarily, Erin. If I may say this, yeah. I mean again, the, you know, these venues are very public venues, and as I said, like I often receive tweets, mostly from men, who are saying, "I can't believe so and so is still out there," mm. um, you know, protesting. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, you don't these 
for police to take action, there doesn't ought to be a report from that woman who has been harassed by right. herself. The law applies, and if the police officer witnesses somebody protesting and violating the, the, the access zone, the safe zone, then she or he can act. Somebody else can report. Uh, again, I think the, the, the locale of, that, of the clinic makes it very, very difficult for mm-hmm. somebody to go under the radar because it's such a public venue. Yeah, I have seen um, the protesters being displaced over to Spark Street, kind of outside the CBC. And uh, it seems very bizarre because they're just still wearing their sandwich boards mm-hmm. with uh, all their graphic images on them. And I think I'm sure the tourists must be like, what is going on here? Probably protesting CBC. There. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> um so what is there are there any supports from the government being offered to um these abortion clinics like the Morgenthaler clinic who who have to deal with these these types of situations in addition like in a in addition to the legislation Yeah so I mean as you know so the services they provide are covered by OHIP uh so of course these are services that 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 it's women's right to have uh those uh those services in terms of uh safety and security this is the biggest step we we have taken i know a lot of them actually have um private security that they they retain um and then and then deploy mm-hmm. and it's is unfortunately it's a cost of doing uh business for them i'm hopeful that over time there will be less need or reliance on it as the law takes hold. The law is still a is a new law; it only came into effect a few months ago. Um, uh, but you know, I'm I'm glad that we have taken this very important step. We will continue to monitor. We will continue to see if uh, if it's having its intended purpose of creating that healthy, respectful, safe access zone for for women to access uh, reproductive uh, services. Um, you know, a human being could be very ingenious as well, so they could they could figure out loopholes. And I think it's incumbent on on governments, whoever is in government, to to ensure that uh, the law and the the spirit and the intent of the law is being is being fulfilled. Uh, have you has your office or ministry been engaged with the Alberta government on this matter at all in helping them kind of craft their legislation? I'm not personally aware if they have reached out. It, it could be that at the official to official uh, level that maybe have been done. And of course, we will be more than happy to share all our research uh, with them. Um, so we kind of briefly touched upon this idea that protesters' rights aren't being infringed upon because they still get to protest. Um, these types of bubble laws have been challenged in the United States. Obviously, recognizing that you're not a, a United States lawyer and you don't, you're not a, uh, a member of the bar there, um, these challenges have deemed that the protesters' First Amendment rights are being infringed upon. And is that kind of just because the laws in the U.S. are different from in, in Canada with regards to um, free speech or that the laws themselves regarding the bubble zone are different or is it just our general culture towards women's reproductive health different? So it's, it's, it's difficult for me to comment on about the U.S. law, but I can tell you the, the law that the British Columbia brought back in the 90s has been challenged in Canada uh, under the charter. Mm-hmm. Um, we have under our charter a two-step process the first thing that the courts have to determine whether um, rights are violated or not. And in fact, 
in in cases in case dealing with British Columbia, it was found that yes, it did violate somebody's right to freedom to speech. But then there's a second test, and the second test is um, under the charter is whether that that violation of rights is justifiable in a free and democratic society. Right. And that's where it got it got protected. Say yes, this is. It is justifiable because it, there's another competing right, which is a woman's mm-hmm. right to access safely without harassment or intimidation, healthcare services. So that's why the law has been found to be uh, to be constitutional. So I'm not a U.S. constitutional uh, expert, so I cannot tell you whether they have that second part of the test. But that's a very important element. Um, in Canadian constitutional law, in our Canadian charter. So um, you, our law, of course, if somebody challenges, and we, we think that anti-choice groups may, may do so, our law uh, will go through that two-step test, whether we're violating somebody's right, and if the answer is yes, then is it protected? Is it a justifiable uh, a restriction? And we are fairly confident with all the analysis we've done that it, it passes the second and second part of the test, and that's why the balance piece is is really important. I get often asked the question, why 50 meters, why not 200 meters, right? And that is all to ensure that you 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 require to do the bare minimum that you are uh, you can to uh, to accommodate those competing rights. This is like testing my constitution. It's like going back to law school. Well, and Amy's a lawyer, so I'm just like, Amy, Amy must be like really I'm nerding like, out Amy, right now. Amy, where are you at? Is that right, Amy? Yeah, I think that check. <laughs> oh, no. Now I'm like challenging the AG's legal knowledge. I'm not at all. <laughs> I, I, actually, I am grading it, though. You aced it. Okay, so. thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, so one of, the, again, like just to go back to, I want to like, challenge a little bit more what the what people who are on the other side of this debate are saying um you know like there's a I, looking online there's so much outcry about you know the march for life is now going to be over they're quashing all of our freedom of expression and i think you've articulated very well why that's not exactly the case the other argument uh that comes forward is um this idea that where they're missing a chance to get at their target audience um and in terms of like realizing freedom of expression, right? They're out, yeah. they're outside the CBC protesting, not <laughs> the ones who are directly going to access yeah. the services. And then how do you do that? That kind but of outreach? are they entitled to match with their target audience? No, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. Well, we'll that's give, exactly yeah. the point, yeah. right? I mean, so you're free to express your point exactly. that 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 abortion is murder. That's their position, right? Um, I don't agree with that. Um, and nobody's stopping them to 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 make the point, but they can't stop somebody. They can't prevent mm-hmm. somebody from doing so. That is not their decision. And that is that harassment part. That's that interference mm-hmm. and intimidation part that becomes critical. That mm-hmm. that's the action that crosses the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that has, from a public policy point of view, has compelled governments mm-hmm. to take action to create mm-hmm. a respectful distance between those who wants to express a point of view and those who just wants to access services. Mm-hmm. Um, I ca- yeah, I, so what's, um, what's really interesting um, 
to me as well is, is the idea, then we've touched a little bit on this as well, is the number and the locale of a lot of these abortion clinics um, is often urban. Um, and there's, as you said, I, am I correct? It's eight in the, the province. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, is, is, you know, the, the liberal government looking to do anything about expanding access to abortion? So, so there are eight standalone clinics, but lots of hospitals also mm-hmm. provide that service. So that that already uh, exists. We did not extend automatic uh, protection to hospitals. That was my next question. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the reason actually go is a, there's a legal reason for that because in the injunction that the government sought back in the early 90s, they also sought injection around hospitals, and the court said no. And they said that was going too far because mm-hmm. they said hospitals provide other services as well. So they they created that. So we there is case law on that. So we said we are not going to give hospitals automatic protection because you can go for uh, cancer treatment. You can have a heart disease. Mm-hmm. You can be just going to give birth. Right. You know, mm-hmm. all kinds of different things right. in, in hospitals. Um and but we have allowed hospitals to seek uh, an access zone, and that's where we will make a determination whether right. there has been protest. It does has that put those who are trying to get service in a precarious uh, position, or other people who are trying to get other services at a hospital, mm-hmm. are they being undermined? That mm-hmm. will then allow us to make that determination. But to your uh, Amy, to your earlier point, mm-hmm. there's not only there's more than eight places in in Ontario that where you can get abortion services and hospitals mm-hmm. obviously are a key part of that network. The eight you we talk about are sort of the standalone clinic. There, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know for sure they are all Morgan Teller sort of brand, um, but that service is now obviously accessible uh, far wider. Of course, although the, they're still <laughs> sorry to yeah, add, yeah, I mean there may be of course gaps in the service, and yeah. now with uh, um, with the mifogisemi, can we see? I always have a hard time pronouncing the name. Same. Okay. <laughs> I'm terrible at names. It is. It's okay. <laughs> the abortion pill. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation is changing even further. Yeah. And as you probably know, in Ontario, uh, that abortion pill is now available free mm. uh, to to women who wants to have access. Um, and that could be prescribed by your doctor. Mm-hmm. That could be prescribed by uh, by a doctor at a community health center. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- so that access has obviously is increasing increasing significantly. I know our community health centers in in Ottawa, some of them that I know in downtown are going through the accreditation process so that they can sub, sub prescribe and we have in this legislation has allowed for them to act, uh, to apply for safe access zone if they if they mm-hmm. wish to do so so how has the expansion uh, of you know access through the pill changed protesting itself or has it are I, there still people carrying placards outside of abortion obviously they are or else we wouldn't be having this discussion but are there more sophisticated targeting? Very good question. Um, I'm not aware of um, targeting yet of pharmacies or community health centers. Organizations like Planned Parenthood get, do get targeted. Yeah. We know that, mm-hmm. um, and because and they they provide a sort of broader range of reproductive health um, services. Yeah. Um, 
I think that a new tactic that you're seeing, and we've I saw that in Ottawa last summer, it was quite disturbing to me personally, is just on a random busy intersection, people standing with really large, absolutely graphic, horrendous photos of aborted fetuses um, and, and giving pamphlets. Um, I don't know if you saw this. I've seen that no. in Ottawa last summer. Hmm. I'm thinking, who reads a pamphlet anymore? <laughs> these these uh, boards, but yeah, yeah, these yeah. boards mm-hmm. are large. Mm-hmm. They are really well, like, good quality. So the pictures are uh, oh, okay. very enhanced. In fact, I've been told they are they're not true photos. They are doctored photos. Mm-hmm. They, they create pictures that makes you, yeah. you want to... And I, I was walking the street and somebody and and the people standing are young women and men like mm-hmm. our age mm-hmm. so you just you you wonder like who, mm-hmm. who yeah are because you? the protesters that have been outside the morgenthaler clinic have been generally much much older older mm-hmm. and so these are uh, uh these are people who will be millennials mm-hmm. uh who will look like us mm-hmm. uh i'm not a millennial <laughs> <but>. <laughs> You're on the cusp. <laughs> I'm a little outside the cusp. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. You're a cusp right uh, So, um, and, and so that um, they have been um, in Toronto, I know, where um, 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 mail uh, delivery has been done mm-hmm. and people's mailboxes with, with graphic images where children have seen or, or pregnant women have picked up as you checking your mailbox. Yeah, yeah that been, happened last been summer. Quite yeah, yeah. So you can already see there has been some change taking place in the tactic mm-hmm. to get whatever message uh, those groups want to get out. Do you think that those young folks passing out those leaflets or that generation of uh, Catholic school students get shipped out to do the March for Life? And have been part of that, like yeah. They're also uh, summer interns who get hired, and mm-hmm. uh, you may recall a little bit of the controversy where the federal government changed the cr- uh, criteria around yes. summer. Yes, 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 yes. It was uh, to address that particular issue. Oh, oh, okay. Can you expand on that a little bit more? So my in, understanding, in, as far as you can, as yeah. far as you can, <laughs> obviously. My yeah. understanding, a lot of those then students are are hired by these organizations, anti-choice organizations, and they qualify to get summer. Uh, program grants mm-hmm. and they're paid and that's, I think the federal government don't want to use that money for that right. kind of uh, activities. It's funny because I didn't, I, I think that the the messaging on that should have been a, more, a bit more nuanced in terms of the way we understood that came about because honestly I didn't even realize that that was the case. And that, that it was tied that to it actual was tied harm to in actual the community. Harm, yeah. Like, yeah, in the community, and that they were using federal funds to do it. And I think, do you know of any sort of, I guess I shouldn't ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, are there, actually, never mind. I won't ask the question, because I haven't truly formed it in my head. So... Carry on. Well, as, the one who, as the one who edits the audio, that's your prerogative. <laughs> I will cut it out. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, um, we are headed for an election in Ontario in June. So as our current MPP and as our candidate for the upcoming election, um, what are your key issues for women in Ottawa? 
So, and I guess more generally. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm really proud to be part of a government that has worked hard on issues around gender-based violence. Um, um, you you may recall three, four years ago, we started It's Never Okay uh, campaign. We came out Ontario's first ever uh, action plan on sexual violence and, and harassment. Part of it uh, in, encompassed education. We did the um, did the campaign, the television advertisement that actually went viral uh, across the across the world on on YouTube. It's probably one of the most um, viewed mm-hmm. Ontario government advertisement campaign, and really made a point that th- that was making a point that as we all have a responsibility and ownership uh, to protect each other, and we cannot be bystanders, right? So workplace scenarios where a man is overly leery or touchy to to a, a female. A coworker, mm-hmm. or a bar where you know um, you're 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 drunk and your friends don't care, or your friends take up took ownership. I mean those those type of things. Um, so we we've been working um, working with um, um, activists from across the province on saying, okay, what do we do need to do next? And the premier created a roundtable on violence against women. Um, first time ever in the province's history that the premier of the province created a VAW roundtable to give me advice. And they, what they did is divided some of the key issues. So things, one of the big issues we worked, uh, they're working on is uh, violence towards indigenous women and, and girls. Uh, and there's a strategy called Walking Together or Journey Together, Walking Together, with about $100 million dedicated towards dealing with uh, a violence uh, against indigenous women and, 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 and young women. Um, also around human trafficking, another very big issue. Um, Ontario is actually is, uh, is considered a leader now in the country in terms of the work we're doing, coordinated work we're doing ver- between various ministries around dealing with uh, human trafficking. And then just uh, about a month ago, we came up uh, with the gender-based violence strategy in that we not only updated the Domestic Violence Action Plan, but also have come up with a, uh, a standalone uh, GBV, uh, GBV uh, strategy with new dollars around sexual assault centers, around partner assault uh, response program, um, around family law uh, circumstances. And there, again, the focus is how can we as a society be pro- more proactive in, in preventing that kind of violence to take place Right, not just just react and have the services available as a reactionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we be a proactive uh, in 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 preventing um, in this type of violence to take place? And and what kind of education and awareness that we need to do from a very young age with our children around changing the social norms that exist right. between interactions between girls and boys, um, and and changing that whole societal notion that somehow a woman is weak or somehow it's okay for a man uh, to engage that kind of aggressive uh, behavior. There's a lot of work needs to be done, and, and feminists out there will tell you, they've been telling us this for a long time, the kind of work um, that needs to be done. I think they're feeling rightfully quite empowered that they actually see a government doing the work and actually putting money at the table to, to make that happen. I'm of the view that that's just start. Uh, of that at that work, and there's uh, far more work needs to be done. And and one of the things I want to do, uh, if I'm fortunate enough to be reelected, to is continue the momentum um, on that work and 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 keep pushing the envelope uh, around putting uh, putting an end to gender-based uh, violence in our in our society. 
So what does being more proactive as a government look like? Uh, what because governments aren't generally known to be proactive. Yeah. It's hard for governments to be proactive. I, I think there's a couple of elements to it. Is one working with with the activists, working with the advocates, people who are on the ground providing the important services. So you're being informed by the grassroots. You're being you're listening to the grassroots, right? Go and, figure. Right. <laughs> we talk so about that a lot on this podcast. So that's number one, and that's yeah. why the 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 VAW roundtable was such a unique thing because the premier empowered people who are on the front line saying, you come at Queen's Park, we will give you the resources, we'll give you all the research and data that you, you need, what we may have, and we may not have everything, and you give us advice. But how would one get on your radar? Like, it, not one. How would an organization doing that work, maybe they do work, for, um, let's say particularly for... Um, black and indigenous people of color, and that's their focus. How would they get to the point where they get to a VAW roundtable, I guess is my question. How do they access that uh, provincial arena? Yeah, the network is quite strong. The network is uh, strong. So there obviously there are provincial associations which are made up of the subcomponent. Mm -hmm. We have worked really hard to make sure that the representation is as diverse as possible in terms of indigenous organizations, racialized uh, groups, LGBT, mm -hmm. um, right? So that you're not just listening to one segment of the population. Also, don't don't forget how diverse Ontario in terms of urban and rural area. Yep. Challenges are, are For sure. very different. Not that far here from here, mm -hmm. and we'll know. Mm -hmm. Three three women got yep. murdered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are elements around rural community and right. and and how services um, are not as robust as as they may be mm -hmm. in a, in a urban uh, urban setting. So we we try to do our best, and and different ministries, of course, have very robust interaction with stakeholders or or, or partner uh, uh, organizations. So Ministry of Status of Women, which by the way in Ontario has been made into a full ministry, mm -hmm. it's not a junior ministry, mm. right? So they've given the kind of resources uh, that are necessary uh, to do uh, that that important work. So I think I, I so I think. Part of it is is that level of empowerment. The other part is is money, right? If you want to do it, then it's one one thing to change the laws and policies, which is important. But then you need to make sure that there is at a at a civil society level there are opportunities and resources available to then action uh, all those great laws and and policies. So the money associated with it is also very very important. Oh, we agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's part of the momentum, but momentum um, has to has to continue. And we have, I think, um, really in in Ontario uh, has, has 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 taken has seized the moment with all the conversation that happened with John Gomeshi, mm. uh, things yeah. with uh, with Bill Cosby, uh, mm. conversation um, that we saw, uh, you know, we're seeing recently with the Me, Me Too and uh, Times Up. But we just can't, um, and I'm not talking to you or yeah. through you, to activists, you've been at this. The government, yeah. um, people like myself, to say, oh, it's fashionable to talk about this, it's right. fashionable to march in a woman's march, and then we'll just move on to the next thing. In order for the momentum to continue, it has to continue. I'll tell you another big part, which is we still have to address, and more work needs to be done, and that's around, around gender uh, wage gap, right? It, it's, it's as pervasive, right? So there's no violence involved there, 
But we still live in a society where women get paid 25 to 26 cents less but than But it's all connected. Men. It's all connected. Everything Absolutely. has, a, as an economist, everything has an economic yes. base to me. Yes. <laughs> but all of these all of these issues have to do do have an economic component to it and those that economic component engenders certain choices or certain choice sets for women that are different from men and that are different within um women themselves class race urban rural um sexuality all of that the fact that um, women are still paid less than men is not just a footnote. It is pervasive. It is, I feel like it's, um, it's a conduit through which everything else that we talk about, gender-based violence, um, racism, sexism, etc., happens. And it can't happen. You cannot have equality without closing the gender wage gap. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, that's my little spiel. And there's a whole then social infrastructure piece around that's child care. That's right. Child care, but access that, to post-secondary education. But that all goes into it. All that it. ties into All it. of that ties into I can't yeah. believe what people pay for child care. I'm just like, mm-hmm. what? That's why we want to bring free child care. I heard that. Yeah. I see. You see how I provided that opening? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm definitely a strong believer that all issues have... A gender lens, you know, like emergency management, natural disasters, you know, women are disproportionately affected by those. Yep. Um, anything, you know, you can, people talk about, oh, well, this, this debate between the leaders is going to be on the economy. It's not going to be about women's issues. The economy is, by the way, can we get rid of this women's issues thing? It really irks me. Well, what would you propose as another way to get at that idea? Issues. That particular yeah, societal issue. Well, there's societal. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just trying to get like the the succinct answer for I'm people just, to call back. I'm to. just saying that um, the idea of women's issues it's too broad. It isolates us as though we're the other. Well, and yeah. I think the issue. I think what you're trying to get at too is that when we talk about when we have issue-based debates like mm-hmm. on the economy, the perspective that we're taking is that there is a normal or a baseline or yes. a middle-class Canadian model right. that is like commonly reflected. So exactly. That the policy is addressing that and group, and that group else, doesn't actually exist or yeah, is impacted strokes. by. You know, and many everything else is a lens. fraction yeah. of that. Yeah. That's what I want to get away from. Right. That women's issues are nice and fuzzy and feminine and have nothing to do with the real work. And that's what I hate. Anyway, that's just my aside. Sorry. (laughs) It's an important aside. I do think, though, like, so we are actually involved in the Now What event taking place uh, via the Provincial Ottawa Centre debate on May 16th. And I think we're trying to shift that lens and push those issues a little bit further and make them less fuzzy, yeah. less feminine, and a little yeah. bit more substantive. Yeah. And you have RSVPs as attending. So yes. Looking forward to it. As our representative, I think we're pretty stoked that yeah, we're, we're totally be represented. stoked. Totally. Yeah. You should tell your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I and I think you know, so I think the uh, Joel Harden from NDP has mm-hmm. said he's coming. Sherry, mm-hmm. uh, Sherry Wong from Green, and just today the PC candidate mm-hmm. has been nominated too, uh, Colleen McCready. I just saw the tweet, yep. yes. uh, and I'm 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 sure I'm hopeful that 
she will want to come to that conversation. And again, this is not a partisan conversation. This should not be a no. partisan conversation. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to not to engage as one. I think this is, a, to Erica, your point, this is a societal conversation. It's a conversation that we all have to engage in, and I hope we all see eye to eye on, uh, on that, which then shows me momentum. But there may be variation in means to an end, and that, mm-hmm. is, that is fine in a, in a healthy and democratic society. Yep. But I don't think this is a liberal issue or an NDP issue or green or the conservative mm-hmm. issue because it impacts all of us regardless of how we vote. Yeah, yeah, because I vote on issues too, not by party. Party, yeah. But to actually, I want to come back to your um, momentum. What does your second wave or your next momentum wave should you be reelected, what would that look like? It's a good question, and you know, I I need to ask that question more from people who are doing the work on the ground to gotcha. uh, better understand. I'm okay. not going to uh, sit here uh, and say I know exactly what the answer is to what we need to go uh, next. I do know that the social infrastructure piece is really important. Okay. Um, I do really strongly feel about the uh, gender wage gap, and I think that is has been a, a persistent issue that is has this not going away mm-hmm. and um, what I want to focus on is is look at ideas as to how we can do things differently why is it that we have not been able to rid of that given that we live in a fairly educated progressive society yeah and I don't meet a lot of people who says yeah you know we should pay women less so why is it why is it still so sticky and what do we do need to do next well I can give you an example <laughs> so Please do. I used to work for the federal government and I worked in an area, in a particular area, where it was known to not promote women. It was very much a bro culture. It still very much is. And women and people of color are not mentored. They're not promoted. They're not on that promotion track, for example. Another example is um, I was at um, an anti-black racism debate um, town, hall. town hall thank you uh a few weeks ago city hall at city hall yeah and i wrote a piece on it for the ottawa citizen and basically what i saw in terms of solutions wasn't all the Pella members were white yeah and that yeah, yeah. I read your article yeah 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 some of some of the chief the chief of police police's comments which didn't which got cut from the article um, I did not appreciate. I thought they were ignorant. And I can see how somebody like that leading an organization, the fact that senior management is usually white and male, I can see how that persists. And I'm not saying that putting people of color and women in that those spaces will solve the problem. They don't because those spaces operate the way they do to promote a certain type of person. Um, but I can definitely see how, how it happens. In fact, we talked about last week in our, no, maybe not last week, our last podcast. We talked about the gender age wage gap in the teen years and how that's when it starts. And it was just eye-opening to me because I usually tell Aaron, I was like, oh, another survey. <laughs> but I thought this was, I thought this was a brilliant piece. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something we should look at too. It's it's just I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's just based on a lot of assumptions that used to hold in the past. 
And the, the assumption was that the woman would stay at home, the man would go to work, and so on and so forth. And so now we have a system built around that, right? So how do we take these pieces of the system and amend them to a new reality? What excites me, and I'm now putting being a man, um, is that I hope that we are starting to live in a different time where men like myself, I'm in my mid-40s, who have been raised by women from a different generation, like my mother, who is a lawyer, retired, um, strong feminist, made sure that she was raising her two sons and her daughter as equals, right? She raised different different men. My mother, too, by the way. I always say she's the first feminist I ever met. Yeah. Yeah. That, I should be that's. That's, that's probably, and we used to yeah. talk about politics around the dinner table, too, all the time. I could talk about politics when I was 11 years old in a way that was way beyond my years, yeah. but that's my little... Go ahead. No, but that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's an important point, and, and same here, and I saw her in action, right? For me, it was seeing her in action. She was going to school. She was raising kids. She was, you know, did her law degree. She was helping women um, and, and doing all these things, um, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a, a son, uh, she, she taught me how to how to um, uh, deal with my sister, right? Like, and, and what that male and female dynamic and interaction is, all those things, which has resulted in the in, in the man that I am am today as a mm-hmm. as a husband, as as a as a father. And maybe it's the company that I keep. I look look at men around me, and they are similar, which gives me hope that I think there is there's a change that taking place because the men today um, act. And think, and not all of them, hopefully different than the than my father's generation or the generation uh, before. Where I think a compelling change comes, and I feel very strongly, and I've had this conversation with my wife, is that how I raise my son, mm-hmm. right? And I've said to my uh, my wife that I I want to be the one. I want my you, of course, raise the son you want to, but I want him when he thinks back wants him to think that my dad was a feminist. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of certain values about equality, about women's role in the society, how you treat women, how you respect women, how you never hit a woman. That was taught by my father, mm-hmm. not just by his mother. Mm, um, right, right, that, right. You know, right. you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that, that the I men think. themselves, in terms of how they are becoming, how they are their son's um, role model, chief well, role and model and mentor. The, doing the emotional yeah. labor, doing yeah. the work of um, advancing but, those those issues and not just leaving it to women to have to be the one. But I don't think I don't think women can have the same impact to in the lives of a boy? in in the in the lives of a in sort of raising a son. It reminds me of actually um oh oh 1990 movie oh with Cuba Gooding Jr. Hello, why am I blanking? I know. <laughs> no. Um um oh great. John Singleton's movie man. Okay, I forgot. Seriously, Amy, you're you two I need are more than that. Which one? Um oh boys boys in the hood. Sorry. Wow. That Okay. Seriously? We're all watching it tonight. Okay. <laughs> Let's all watch Boys in the Hood. But what she said, uh, and Angela Bassett, a young Angela Bassett, said, um, you know, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm sending my son to his father. 
And and the woman's like, eh. and she said, what, did you think we all made babies by ourselves? <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. Is that, is that men have just a different impact on their sons than a mother would have on her son. That's just it. That's just what I'm saying. So it's a, so when you're talking about doing the emotional labor, men have to do that emotional labor. Absolutely. And they have to learn. And that's that's the thing. I feel like I feel like we're in a society now where parents don't talk to their kids about anything that's uncomfortable, anything that may be negative because I don't I I just I don't know what's happening. Anyway, that's just um my observation. But there's, but I think what we're talking about is we were talking about momentum, and we're and we gotten into the opportunity. Right. And I think that's where the opportunity is. And right. That goes to that proactive work, that societal changing the norms around a society, so that as we were talking about the gender wage gap, that hopefully it will just. I mean, you need government action and all that stuff, but it just comes to a point where it sounds ridiculous, like that we would just not do that. I don't think we're there yet, but that's the important work that needs to happen. We're really not there. It's amazing to me. I I just don't want I don't want any like the next generation or my kids to go through what I went through, which uh, to me is just I mean it's outward discrimination to be honest. But how we move forward, you're right, takes more than just government action. It takes more than just policy. It takes a societal change and the way we view women and their place in the world as yes equal to men but there are equity issues there too so I guess that's what I'm trying to say I guess I'll end on that (laughs) (laughs) you've talked for a while I have talked for it has been hours I know one would think that I would enjoy this and now I'm tired Minister Nakvi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Do you have any parting words? Um, can't wait to hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you should do? You should listen to the others. <laughs> Tweet us out. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> I'm just saying, I have you here. I might as well make the request. <laughs> a good plug. As always, you can get social with us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook at Bad and B Podcast, and email us questions, love notes, hate mail. It's fine. Bad and B Pod at gmail.com. Bye. 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 Bye.